Well, as Steve said, open God's Word to the book of Philemon as we finish up our three-week series out of the one-page letter of the book of Philemon. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you and turn to page 1000. You'll find exactly where we'll be at this morning. And uh, if you don't, the book of Philemon uh, in your own Bibles is, is the book uh, that is in between Titus and Hebrews at the end of the New Testament. And uh, as we turn there, we, we come again to the subject that we've been looking at, reconciliation uh, through forgiveness. And uh, we've been learning about this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. It's the shortest of the letters that he, he writes. Uh, this is not a letter to a church or to a group of churches, but to one individual. And it's the reason for the name of the book. Uh, this letter is written to a man by the name of Philemon. Philemon was a man who lived in Colossae, which is modern-day Turkey. And uh, he uh, was a man of great means. He had servants and slaves uh, and served as, as a master uh, in, in that way. He also was a prominent member in the church of Colossae. Uh, the church met in his home, and he no doubt was one of the leaders uh, of that church. And, and this letter is written because something takes place in the life of Philemon. Philemon, who, again, was a master of many servants and slaves, had one particular slave or servant in his midst, who he had provided for, cared for, who made a decision. His name was uh, Onesimus, and he made a decision, uh, for whatever reason, we're not given it, but to steal from Philemon, take goods and, and maybe money, and, and, and flee, and run to uh, the city of Rome to disappear, to start a new life. And, and uh, Philemon uh, is, is, is hurt by this. He's offended by it, no doubt. If someone was to steal from us, we would feel that sense of betrayal and that sense of loss. And uh, while in Rome, Onesimus is, is trying to build his new life and, and maybe start uh, you know, a new life uh, apart from Philemon and the people he had known in Colossae. And in doing so, he comes into contact with the Apostle Paul. And unknowing that the Apostle Paul and Philemon had a relationship, uh, Onesimus finds himself hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, being transformed by it, and coming in contact with Philemon's old friend, the Apostle Paul, Onesimus comes to the realization not only that, that he needs a Savior in Jesus Christ, but that in trusting Christ as his Savior isn't just this vertical relationship that takes place, but when we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's going to change our horizontal relationships as well. And so because his vertical relationship with God has changed, Paul tells Onesimus he has to do the unthinkable. He needs to go back to Colossae and he needs to right the wrong that he had done against Philemon. And I want you to recognize this morning that what that could mean is imprisonment. It could be the uh, dismembering of, of one's body uh, in the Near East. Uh, if you were a thief and, and found guilty of being a thief, your hand could be cut off as a reminder uh, of the sin that you've committed. It could also mean death, just all depending on, on the judge's leniency or strictness with regards to that crime. And so Phile or, uh, Onesimus is given a, a tall task that if he really is a changed follower of Jesus Christ, that he would go and do the hard things, and that is return to Philemon, return to the place of the crime, and seek forgiveness and pursue reconciliation. And this letter is a letter of reference from Paul to Philemon on Onesimus' account to say that Onesimus is a new man. He's a man who is of great use to the Apostle Paul and a letter of recommendation for Philemon, not only to receive him back into the home, 
not as a slave, but now as an equal, a brother in Christ, one that deserves full forgiveness and full reconciliation. And what we have before us this morning is the closing of that letter from verses 17 through 25, and it's a reminder to all of us that we all have a part to play in the subject of reconciliation and forgiveness. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. As we look at this text, we'll ask God's blessing on our time and we'll jump right in. This is what Paul says as he finishes the letter. So, if you consider me your partner, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. If Onesimus has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, Philemon, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father God, we come before you and we ask that your grace would would shower upon us this morning. That it would be the grace that would would allow us to see our need for, for reconciliation with our God that that grace would be what would show us our need to, to right wrongs with fellow uh, men and women in our midst. That that grace would be able to say you're forgiven when we are wronged. We need your grace this morning. We pray again in special measure that it would be placed upon your people in the hearts of every hearer this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this last week in Chicago sports has been the tale of two cities. Uh, I know that many of you are aware that uh, our Blackhawks, once again, are going to the Stanley Cup Finals. And, and that's an exciting thing. And as if you look at the, the Blackhawks, you recognize a team that really is, is functioning on all cylinders. I mean, everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing. The front office has established a, a wonderful team. The, the coach seems to be uh, one that everybody's bought into his strategy. Your offense, your defense, even your goaltender seemingly are doing everything they need to do. And while they share the same arena, the Chicago Bulls find themselves in a very different place, firing their coach uh, after five years. Now, you would think that the Bulls uh, just finished up what would be considered a deep playoff run. Once again, being vanquished by their nemesis, LeBron James, uh, the team found itself, as it was going through the playoffs, not with the the killer instinct of winning a championship, but infighting began to begin. If you're any kind of sports fan, you began to hear some of the concerns the front office had with the coach and and some of the consternation that the coach had with, with, with players. And then we heard that the last game of of the Bulls' season, that there was fighting amongst the players as to who would be the alpha dog, who would be the main scorer, and and things began to fall apart. Two teams heading in two different directions. And one commentator put it this way, the difference between the Bulls and the Hawks is that on the Hawks, everybody knows their part that they're to play, and they do it to the best of their ability. The Bulls, everybody wants to play someone else's part. Everybody else wants someone else's job, and they fight one another to try to get that. 
This morning in our message, we have the tale of two cities. You can choose, with regards to reconciliation and forgiveness, to play someone else's part or to do someone else's job and find chaos, or you can play the part that God has given you, do it to the best of your abilities with the equipping and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit, and allow forgiveness and reconciliation to take place. Paul's got three words for us this morning. He has a word to the offender, he has a word to the offended, and he has a word for all of us, whether we've been offended or an offender, or find ourselves in a place of utter tranquility. And so this morning, looking at verses 17 through 25, let's look first to the issue uh, with regards to the offender. What's the role the offender plays this morning? In our text, we see that the role of the offender is played, first of all, by a man named Onesimus. The villain in the story, if you're looking for a villain, is this man who has been cared for and ministered to, who has found protection and provision in the house of Philemon, the guy that messed things up. The reason for this letter is a man by the name of Onesimus. He's the problem. He's the issue. He stole. He took that which was not his own, and he took it, he coveted after it, he put it into his own possession, and then he ran like the coward that he was. He did so because of either an act of stupidity, selfishness, or sin. Onesimus is a troublemaker. He's a problem. And what we begin to find out is that, that this Onesimus, at some point, sees the air of his ways. He sees that what he has done is wrong. Maybe he knew it when he took the stuff initially. Maybe it took him years to figure it out. We don't know, but what we recognize is, is we know who the offender in this letter is. It's Onesimus. He's the problem. And this morning, before I get to what the role of the offender is, I want to remind you and I of something, because it's very easy for us to look at a guy like Onesimus and say, what a scoundrel, what a scumbag, what a, what a problem child. What a good-for-nothing individual. But I want to remind you this morning, and something that I want us to, to really get into our heads and our hearts this morning, that while Onesimus, yes, is an offender, so are you and I. We've offended a God who is holy and righteous, who has given us everything we need, provision, protection, and peace. God has given us all that we need. And the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of that glory. All of us are offenders against a holy God. Likewise, just as we are offenders of God, because of that vertical relationship being strained and, and in fact being destroyed, we now have strained relationships with one another. And so it's not that we've just offended God and, 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 and an offender towards God. We offend others. The very essence of you getting up this morning And interacting with another human being allows you to run the risk that you will offend somebody today. As I said last week, there's probably a good chance this week that you not only offended one person, but many people through your words, through your uh, um, actions, through your body language, through through a joke that you said, through through a, a neglect of one, or maybe because of an abuse that has been done, are 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 press is filled. Our stories in our, in our newscasts are filled with stories of offenders. Some of them are very small. Some of them are, are, are petty grievances. Others of them involve stealing and theft and, and, and others abuse and still others even bloodshed. 
We live in a world where, where human beings are often given to hurting and offending others. Again, because of stupidity, because of selfishness, and even larger, because of sin. And what I want to remind us this morning, before we leave this series and before we leave this book, that you and I be reminded how easy it is for us to offend others. How easy it comes from the human nature for us to say hurtful things, for us to do hurtful things to those we don't know and even to the most intimate of relationships we have within the home. It is easy for us as human beings to offend others. And so before you think what a, what a dirty, rotten, filthy scoundrel Onesimus is, be reminded that Onesimus as a real person is a type of you and I. We've all offended both God and one another. So what do we do when we offend? What do we do when we hurt others? The first step to pursuing reconciliation and forgiveness as the offender, I'm talking as the offender, as the Onesimus in the story, first of all is repentance. It's repentance. How was Onesimus going to prove that he was sorry over stealing from Philemon? How was he going to prove that he desired a second chance? The answer is not explicitly written in the text, but it's there. How do we know that Onesimus got it right? The answer is he went back home. Philemon would not be in the scriptures if Onesimus never goes back. If Onesimus somewhere between Rome and Colossae makes a decision that it's too painful to go back, that the uh, opportunity that Philemon has to throw him in jail or to harm him or to put him to death is much more than he can bear. Remember, uh, Tychicus is the guy that's carrying the letter. He's the companion of Onesimus. And he's carrying this letter, and, and Onesimus is with him, If Onesimus says, I'm out of here, Tychicus, I'm leaving, and runs away, there's no need for uh, Philemon to receive this letter. Hey, by the way, Onesimus is a really swell guy. Onesimus is a guy that's worth great value to you as a brother in Christ. What good is it to write a letter of recommendation if the guy that you've recommended is now on the limb again? And so we recognize this morning that Onesimus did the right thing, Because the letter would have never made it to Philemon's hands, let alone the canon of Scripture, if Onesimus hadn't shown up. Some of us this morning, as we think back to the things we've done this last week in hurting others, or maybe decades back, where we have done something and harmed somebody, one of the most important things we must do to pursue reconciliation is forgiveness, listen, is to go back to the scene of the crime. To go back to that moment where you uttered those words. To go back where you did that deed. And to go back and humbly say, I get that it may cost me something to go back to that place. I get that it may mean there's a penalty at the end of that journey. I get that that it may cause me a whole lot of pain and suffering as it would have for Onesimus. But I'm going to humble myself because the better thing, the harder thing to do is to go make right. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to that person I offended, go back to that situation that I caused hurt and pain in, and I'm going to go back, I'm going to look those people in the eye, and I'm going to say from the depths of my heart, I am sorry. I am sorry. I want you to recognize this morning that many of us will utter the words, I'm sorry, and not mean them. Repentance 
is not simply saying, I'm sorry about something, but it is an about face. The the way I was going before is the way I will not go any longer. And so Onesimus was running anywhere Philemon was, wasn't. He'd go there. He didn't want to see Philemon ever again. And repentance said, I'm going to stop my running, and I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to make my way back to the point where I departed from the brother who provided for me. And so he repents. He repents. He says he's sorry. He turns directions, and he makes his way back. Some of us this morning need to go back to the place and where the crime was committed. we got to go back to where we hurt, and it causes pain, and there's a lot of opportunities that people might not receive you back. Remember, Onesimus has no idea how Philemon's going to respond, but he does the hard thing. He obeys. That's why this letter is so beautiful, because Paul writes this letter of recommendation, and he writes it in such a way on behalf of Onesimus to say to Philemon, receive him back. He's a different man. When he gets there, forgive him. When he gets there, treat him like a brother. But there was no guarantee that was going to take place. Some of us need to repent. We need to go back to that place in that moment. And we need to seek righting the wrong that we have committed. Take ownership of it. It wasn't because you were a bad master. It wasn't because you were a hard master. There's, there's no, you provided for me. You took care of me. I had no right to steal that stuff. Some of you need to very clearly this morning go to the person you've offended with no ifs, ands, or buts, or maybes added to it. No disclaimers. I blew it. I'm sorry. And I want you to recognize this morning it's not going to happen again. That is a spirit of repentance. Notice the second thing that comes. This repentance, he goes back to Philemon. But notice, we've got a debt to be paid in verses 18 and 19. He says, if Onesimus has wronged you, Philemon, at all, or owes you anything, Paul says, charge it to my account. In verse 19, he says, I will repay it. So there's a problem. If Onesimus was just a runaway slave, his coming back would have done payment enough. But Onesimus didn't just leave with his own stuff. He took Philemon's stuff with him. And what it sure does seem like from the text is that Onesimus doesn't have that stuff anymore. He's got a debt that he can't pay. And so he comes back empty-handed. Well, where are the, where's the stuff? Where's my wife's jewelry? Where's the, the flatware? Where's the, the, the cash that you took from, from the table before you left? Where is all that? Onesimus has got nothing. And Paul says it needs to be taken care of. Now, notice in the text, Paul uses twice the word if. He says, if he's wronged you or if he owes you anything. Paul is not bringing into doubt or into question whether Onesimus has stolen things. What he's saying is, is if Philemon, this is still a big deal to you, if you can't get over this, then I want you to know you'll be compensated. If it is too hard for you to give up the things that have been taken from you, then I will repay you. I will make restitution. And that's the second thing this morning that offenders need to do. We need to repent... And then we need to seek restitution. That is, is there something monetarily, is there something physically that we need to do to compensate someone for their loss? This issue of restitution doesn't find its beginning in the book of Philemon. 
it finds itself early on in the days and laws of Moses. Write these passages down. Exodus 22, the first part of the chapter, speaks of the common laws and principles surrounding restitution. You can read those at a later time. Leviticus 6 also speaks of truths regarding restitution. And so while they find themselves in the scriptures, we know that God believes and blesses the idea that when you offend others, you should not only repent, showing your utter remorse over the sin and the desire to change paths, but you should do some physical things, some, some temporal uh, um, things, if you will, that will show a heart that has been convicted of your sin. It may be the giving of money. It may be the issue of, of community service. Uh, our, our legal system is full of restitution. You wrong, you break the law, and they may say you're going to do so many hours of community service. Why? As a lawbreaker, you're doing restitution to prove that you are changing course. You're going to do something else. You may pay fines to show you that you are uh, willing and able to, to right the wrongs that have been committed. Now, in the Old Testament time, usually what was done was if you took something from someone, whether they knew it or not, uh, and, and you weren't able to return it, restitution was usually you would replace what was gone and give a fifth above and beyond it. But the gospel seems to share in the New Testament that when you wrong somebody, it wasn't just the law that held you accountable, but the heart of a believer was that they wanted to do all they could to go above and beyond the call of duty, not just to restore what was taken with a little extra, but to be extravagant in your restitution. Now, one thing I want to remind you of is that when we talk about restitution and repentance, the Bible always speaks that first and foremost, when we hurt another, when we wrong another, when we sin against another, the first place we are to seek repentance and restitution is with God himself. The Bible makes this clear when David sins a great sin of adultery and murder over Bathsheba and, and her husband Uriah. David gets to a quiet place by himself. And in Psalm 51, he says, Against you, O Lord, have I sinned. Had he sinned against people? Absolutely. But what he needed to recognize and what you and I must recognize is we will never have right horizontal relationships if our vertical relationship isn't right. And so David goes first and foremost to God. He says, I've sinned against you. And so I need to repent of my sins. Cleanse me of this sin, he says. Purge me of all these things. And then there's restitution that needs to be made. Well, how in the world do you repay God? God says he does not desire the blood of rams and goats. But what God desires, the restitution God wants is a humble and contrite heart. And so what you as a believer, what I as a believer do is, first of all, before we get right with our fellow man and, and women, before we do that with humanity, we get right with God and we say, God, I have sinned against you. I see my sin, I recognize it as an affront to a holy God like yourself, and I turn from it, and I ask that you cleanse me from it, and now be led and empowered to live differently. And, and I'm going to do so, not by doing community service for you, God. I can't do any community service for you, God, to, to rectify this. And so what God demands 
is that we would humble ourselves and we would see our sin as the affront that it is. But how, does, how do we do restitution with man? Notice, he can't pay for it. Notice in the text that, that it says that uh, if he's wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to my account. Why? Onesimus doesn't have the stuff. He doesn't have the ability to repay. And so what do we do? Whether or not we can repay, the one thing that we can do when we wrong people, because there are some circumstances where restitution isn't needed. There are times that, yes, restitution may be a part of it, but other times there may be no money that has been able to give it to, to rectify the situation. So what do we do? We strive to live out a godly reputation. A godly reputation. Notice what the text says. It tells us that, that uh, Onesimus doesn't have any money. And he's unable to pay back. But his heart has been changed. Just by, uh, uh, for the sake of just reviewing for a moment on the issue of restitution before I move too quickly, Luke 19 helps us with this. Luke 19 tells us of the story of Zacchaeus, who, who was a tax collector who stole from people. He has an encounter with Jesus and is changed. He repents of his sins. And in Luke 19, verse 7, it tells us that he vows before all the people that if I have sinned against you, if I've stolen from you, I will repay not your money back and maybe a fifth. He says, I will repay four times what was stolen from you. He says, I want to change it. And that restitution leads to a godly reputation. Think about for a moment, if you're uh, one of the people that Zacchaeus had stolen from, and a year down the road, you're at your house, and you're just going about things, and the Zacchaeus comes to the door, and he says, hey, I'm Zacchaeus, I I did your taxes. And really, you only owed $5,000 for your taxes, but I stole $7,500, so here's $2,500 back. And then, by the way, here's another 10000 back because a Christian should not steal. And I've come to meet, I've met Jesus. And I want to return to you four times over what I've stolen. How's Onesimus going to do that? He doesn't have any money. How are you going to do it when you offend somebody and restitution isn't going to help? Paul says, the one who was useless to us now has become useful. As a young person... And I can't tell you how many times this has happened, but I wronged a lot of people. I wronged my parents who who were nothing but godly examples to me, uh, to a church that did nothing but but honor God's word and and teach me the right things, uh, to uh, legal individuals that I've wronged, to others that I've hurt because of dumb things I said and dumb things that I did. Uh, I I have a bad rap. I've got a rap sheet. A lot of you say, well, how really bad. I was sitting with some people and they said, you know, you make a lot more of your upbringing than really was. And I say, you want me to bring out the legal file? Do you want to see it? I, I did some dumb, stupid things. I offended people. And, and here's what I can do. I can't pay restitution to every person. I don't have enough money in the world. But what I can do is what Philemon did. And that is show myself as a repentant sinner who has been saved by God's grace, and live my life to the best of my ability with the help of the Spirit and show that I'm a different person, that I'm trustworthy, that I'm not a rabble-rouser, 
that I am one who's given to acts of service and love and care, that, that I can show that, that the old Tim is gone and the new Tim has come. Uh, I can do that, and that's what Onesimus is going to have to do. If you've offended someone this morning, the best thing you do is get right with God, and the best way you can get right with people is show that you're a different person. I'm not that person who stole from you. I'm not that person who abused you. I'm not that person who, who wronged you. I'm not that person who, who hurt you. I'm a different person, and I wish I could pay all of that back. I wish in some way I could give you something back that would, would fix it, but I can't. So what I have to do is show you that people change and that God has transformed my life. That's what Onesimus is called to do, and that's what you and I are called to do when we are offending others. And so what it's going to mean is it's going to mean we're, our lives are going to change and we're going to make humble and obedient steps to prove to the world that we're different. So that's the role of the offender. Maybe today you're an Onesimus. This is what you're called to do. Strive for repentance, seek out restitution, and strive for a godly reputation to be all that people see in you. Number two, Maybe you find yourself as a Philemon this morning, the offended. What's your response? In verse 17, when someone responds, or when someone uh, comes to you repentant, when someone comes seeking restitution, when someone comes desiring to live a godly life and live out a godly reputation, you, the offended, you who have been hurt, you've got a response. And Paul says the first response is receive him back. Receive that person back. Notice in the text, it tells us that if you consider me a partner, Philemon, receive Onesimus as you would receive me. Let's talk about this for a moment. Receive Onesimus, that dirty, rotten scoundrel, the guy that stole from me. I'm to receive him, Paul, as I would receive you. When, when, when Onesimus makes his way back, I should uh, pu- pull out the, the nice flatware. I mean, some of the very stuff that he took from me in the first place. I'm going to roll out the red carpet. I am to, to, to bring out the best of the food, the best of the drink. I'm to, to give him the best room in the house to sleep. I am to bring my favorite of friends and, and, and love on this guy and care for this guy. Yep. The same love, Paul, I'm, I'm, I was going to show you, my dear friend who's never wronged me, I'm to show this one that I'm giving forgiveness to, you bet. I'm to receive of him as a partner, one with full fellowship. I'm to receive him as I receive you, Paul. You've got it. Paul says you're supposed to do all of this for Onesimus. You see, what we do when we're offended is we'll say, I forgive you, but we're going to stay at arm's length. I'm going to make sure you can never hurt me again. In a culture when, when people say that you can be forgiven and hold out the stiff arm against the offender, Paul says, no more stiff arm, Philemon. When Onesimus comes, I want you to embrace him like a brother. I want you to show him love. I want you to show him mercy. I want to show you to show him gratitude as you would show me a close friend. I want you to show him. What's that going to look like? Notice it's going to involve refreshing him in encouragement. 
So you receive him back. You embrace him as, as one who has never wronged you in the first place. And then you refresh him. Notice in the text, uh, it says, confident, verse, uh, verse 20, Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Well, it sounds like what Paul is saying is, refresh me. But if you remember back to how Paul references Onesimus in verse 12, you'll understand exactly what Paul is saying. So let's go back to verse 12 for a moment. I'm sending Onesimus back to you. I'm going to have you help me out here. Fill in the blank. Sending my very heart. Okay. So then when he says, I want some benefit from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. Who is Philemon to refresh? Paul's heart. Who's Paul's heart? Onesimus. What Paul is saying is, Onesimus is going to come back and he's going to try to rebuild his reputation. He's going to come back and he's going to try to show you that he is a new man. When he gets back, he is going to try to put back a life together that shows that he is a different person. And who's going to help him in that process? You are, Philemon. The one who is offended. You are going to come and you're going to partner with Onesimus. You guys are going to have koinonia. You're going to have fellowship with one another. You're going to be partners in this arm in arm. You're going to do this together. You are going to encourage Onesimus step by step to make a new life for himself. And your job is that. Offended individual. When someone comes and they seek repentance and they seek forgiveness, your job isn't just to say with, with gritted teeth, you're forgiven and, and I guess I have to. Your job is to say, I see that God's doing a work in your life. I see that God has is, is, is forgiven you. And, and my job is to encourage you every step of the way, to strengthen you every step of the way so that you can continue to live out this idea of reconciliation, not only in your life and relationship with God, but your relationship with me. Now here's the problem. That refreshment is a hard thing because what's going to happen is Onesimus is a human being. And this human being has been transformed by Jesus. But let me remind all of us that you and I have been transformed by Jesus and we still hurt people, right? We still wrong people. And the problem is Onesimus is going to come back. And in that moment that he says, Philemon, please forgive me. I've stolen from you. I've wronged you. And, and, and I want a second chance. And Philemon says, all right, a second chance. I will give you a second chance. Paul says you're different. And based on Paul's word and based on your returning, I'm going to give you that second chance. But here's the problem. Three weeks from now, Onesimus is going to blow it, right? Probably not steal. But maybe he'll do something else. And what is the human nature by many of us? Here we go again, right? Here we go again. You're back to the old self. Holding a record of wrongs. Many of us, and this happens in marriages all the time, we tell our spouse they're forgiven, and then they, they, they fall to another grievance. And we go to the graveyard and we dig up that old one. That one that's seven years old. Hey, they bring it up. Here you go again. I knew you would do it again. I knew you really hadn't changed. And here's the job of the offended. Not only are you there to refresh them, you are to remain true to your forgiveness. You are to remain true to your forgiveness. 
Paul says, confident in verse 21 of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And so when we are offended and someone's trying to right the ship, someone's trying to get beyond the rap that they had as, as a person in the past, they're going to do another wrong. They're going to mess up. And your job is not to withhold forgiveness, to hold a record of wrong, but to love on them and encourage them every step of the way. One of the hardest things growing up in the church that you pastor and, and the transition of that, because there was a time, not so much now, but there was a time early on, I, I took this pastorate, I, I think, I'm trying to think, uh, I was about 25, 26 years of age when I, when I took on this role as, as pastor. And, and I want you to know, my, my last dot on the rap sheet was about 18 or 19. There's only about six or seven years. Of that. That's not a lot of time, right? And I remember there were times where I would do something. Not like I did as a, as a, as a troubled kid, but I would do something even how I led in the church and, and people that were, were, were around for the 18 and 19 year old Tim would say, here he goes again. And I'll tell you, there's nothing more devastating, listen to me, there's nothing more devastating than for someone to bring up your past and shove it in your face. Does anybody like that? Does anybody want that? You see, that's why the devil does it. And I'll tell you, we do the devil's work. The only people that bring up the past, two people, write this down, are Sox fans who live in history and the devil, okay? You talk to a Sox fan, they're like, well, we won the World Series a couple of years ago. <laughs> okay, that's what the devil does, right? They live in the past. Write that down, White Sox fans and the devil. Those are two, two in the same, okay? Okay? So here's the thing. When someone wrongs you, the last thing you need to do is to do the very thing you hate yourself, Right? And that is shove in their faces the wrongs they've done in the past. They know it. Let me tell you something. I know every one of the things that I have done, I have paid dearly for them. And I am embarrassed by them. And I know if you're a human being with any self-respect in your veins, you know them, you've rehearsed them, you wish you could go back and address those things, you've been there, you've done that. You don't need someone throwing it in your face in a hostile way. What you need is someone who is going to embrace you and love you for where you're at today. So you say, Tim, this seems all so familiar. The offender, the offended repentance, restitution, a godly reputation, the offended receiving back and refreshing and remaining true in their forgiveness. I've heard this story before. Where have I heard this? Brothers and sisters, Philemon is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the offender, you and I. We offended a holy God. We sinned against him. We tried to steal his glory. And the problem is, is the debt that we have is so great that we can't return what has been taken. For the wage of sin is death. The only thing we can do is be put under a death penalty. And so what happens? Well, Onesimus couldn't pay his debt, and so he needed someone to come and make the debt payment for him. You and I couldn't make the payment. Paul couldn't make it for us. The only one who could make the pay payment of debt for us was a man who was also God named Jesus Christ. 
And Jesus came, and he died on a cross like the one behind me, and he went to the cross, and he said, Father, they can't pay the debt for themselves. They are offenders, and they've offended us, but they can't pay it themselves, so I'm going to the cross. And what Jesus said was what Paul said, charge it to my account. When he bled on the cross, he said, charge Tim's sin to my account. And the only thing he asks is that we will repent and live for him. And you know what Jesus does when we do that? He receives us back. He embraces us, not as slaves, not as servants, but as sons and daughters, a part of the family of God. He receives us, he refreshes us, he gives us the Holy Spirit, who's our peace, who's our joy, who's our, our, our uh, uh, righteousness. And he embraces us and gives us all that we need. And listen, you and I sin all the time after that fact, right? And Jesus doesn't come. He doesn't come and he say, I knew it. I knew if I forgave you, you were just going to do it again, so there goes my forgiveness. No, Jesus, on our behalf right now, is interceding. And every time the devil comes, and he does, he says, hey, did you see what Badal did? Did you see what that dummy did? He sinned against you again. Jesus just looks to his father. He says, I forgave that one too. Do you see what he did over here? I forgave that one too. What about this one? I forgave Father that one too. All of that's been paid for. Jesus never reneges on his forgiveness, and neither should we. Okay? So that's what forgiveness is all about. Yeah, praise the Lord. Amen. Okay? So that's how we need to forgive. And you think it's hard for Jesus? Yeah, he gave up his life. Is it going to be hard for you? Yes. This is not easy. This is some of the hardest teaching Scripture gives to forgive, but we're called to do it. So let me close with this. I need to get going. I'm, I'm running short on time. What's the message for the rest of us? Maybe you're not Philemon. Maybe you're not Onesimus this morning. What about us who are living pretty good lives? We haven't offended anybody and we're not offended by anybody. What are we to do? What does Philemon teach us? Number one, it is a reminder of the debt that we all owe. It reminds us of the debt we all owe. Notice when Paul speaks of Onesimus' debt, he reminds Philemon of his debt as well. He says in verse 19, I write this with my own hand, I will repay it. To say nothing of your Philemon owing me, even your own self. I want you to recognize this morning, we've already talked about our vertical relationship. That we all owe a debt to God, we've got that. And if you've never bowed the knee to that realization, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior for that debt, then the Bible says you will pay the wage in a place called hell. And so what Jesus asks of us, what he demands of us, is that we bow the knee to him, we trust him as our Lord and Savior, and we give our lives to him. And if you've never done that this morning... Don't leave this place without talking to the person sitting next to you, talking to me, talking to someone at the Welcome Center, so we can give you a full understanding of what the gospel is and what it involves and how you can be saved by it. But what about the debt that we carry with others? You know, a lot of us think, and, and, and Philemon's focused in on what's been stolen from him, and follow me just for a moment. Stay patient with me here. What Philemon's worried about, what about my money? What about my stuff? And what Philemon forgets is that while Onesimus owes him something, Philemon owes Paul 
his very life. You see, when we have something taken from us, when we're offended, we are quick to talk about the injustice of what someone has taken from me. But let us remember that the very essence of us living life, we have accrued a debt almost every day of our lives. Just speaking for myself, I am indebted deeply to my parents. They provided for me, they cared for me, they gave me everything I needed so that I can be here today. Everything, all my daily necessities, they sacrificed. I am indebted. I can, my dad makes this clear to me. I can never repay him for what he's done. Okay? No amount of money will take care of it. I'm indebted to friends. I'm indebted to extended family for their love and support, for their telephone calls in the middle of the night where I'm, where I'm lost, where I'm broken, and, and they love and they care. I'm indebted to a wife who is full of mercy and grace, who has loved me in spite of myself. I'm indebted to my children who remind me the simple things, who remind me uh, what it is to, to be a child of God. I'm indebted to a church that holds me accountable, that keeps me from sin, I'm indebted to a church that gives me opportunities to use my gift. I'm indebted to people that I've had long relationships with. I'm indebted to the strangers who have ministered to me, and I haven't even known it. I will tell you, I am indebted. So what gives me the right to then put on someone else the full payment of what they owe me? I can't pay my parents. I can't pay you. I can't repay Amanda. I can't repay my children. I can't repay any of that. I couldn't even begin to do all that. And yet, when someone wrongs me, I demand full payment. When you demand someone full payment for what they've done, remember all the people that you owe. Very quickly, two other things we need to get from this text and this letter. Paul reminds us that maybe you're not being hurt right now. Maybe you haven't been offended. Remember the debt that you owe. And number two, get ready for hurts. Get ready for hurts. Paul finishes this letter and he says, Hey, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Jesus sends greetings to you. So does Aristarchus and Luke, my fellow workers. And notice in the text, he has two other names, Mark and Demas. If you know anything about Paul, you know that some of the greatest heartbreak that Paul would have as a follower of Jesus Christ was he would be deserted by two people, John Mark and 2 Timothy chapter 4 says Demas. The betrayal of walking away, not only from the faith, but all of the time and energy that Paul had poured into these young men, and they walk away. And what Paul is reminding us is, is maybe this morning no one's offended you. Maybe you're doing all right there, where you haven't offended anybody. I want you to notice that, that people are going to hurt you in the days to come. And Philemon is a reminder, not only of how you deal with past issues and hurts, but how are you going to deal with the ones that are coming in the future? People are going to betray you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to wrong you in some way. And how in that moment are you going to respond? Philemon is the, the method and the, and the way to reconciliation and peace. Well, how do we get there? Whether you've been hurt, whether you're the one who has hurt, Offender, offended alike. What do we need in this? We need the grace of Almighty God. We have to rely on God. If you have hurt somebody, rely on God's grace to save you and do the hard things of repentance. If you have been offended, rely on God's grace to get you through that trial and trouble and rely on that grace to give mercy and grace in your hour of need. We need God's grace in this moment. We need God's grace when trouble comes. 
We need God's grace when those issues come, and they will, so that we might live out the truths of this letter and pursue forgiveness and reconciliation with the same reconciliation and forgiveness that Christ has shown us. Being reminded of this truth as we close Philemon, forgive one another. Forgive one another just as Christ has forgiven you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. I thank you for the patience of your people and in listening to this message. And Lord, I pray for the hurts and the sorrows that all of us carry, whether because someone has wronged us or because we, in fact, have wronged another. Lord, I pray that Philemon will not only be uh, the, the motive for our our, our forgiveness and repentance. It will be the, the, the mandate. It will be the method. It will be our motivation. Thank you for Onesimus' life. The sorrow he must have felt and the grievous guilt that he felt over his sin. I thank you for Paul being an ambassador of reconciliation. Going on behalf of a broken individual to help right the wrong. I thank you for Philemon's example of receiving his brother back to himself. Not as a slave, not as as a fugitive, but a brother in Christ, equal in the sight of God. I thank you for this letter and I pray that this letter will be the way that we live with one another. The way we treat one another. The way we love one another. The way we forgive one another the way we repent towards one another, remembering that we all owe a debt, first of all, to you, Lord. We thank you for that. We repent anew of our sins, knowing that it cost your own son his life. And we renew our our desire to live for you. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, of those who we've trespassed against so that we might receive forgiveness in our hour of sin from other sinners. And we pray, Lord, when those who who trespass against us will in their moment of sin and wrongdoing receive from your people the same forgiveness that we have received in Christ. We need your spirit to do this, Lord. We won't get this from the world. We won't get it from from the books of this world. We can only receive it from the word and hand of God. And so empower us. Fill us with your spirit so that we can live to this end. Now, Lord, send us off into this place where hurts are aplenty, where sorrows abound, and give us the grace that is needed to live this day as children of the King. We love you. And we thank you for it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.